But I realize that a number of you come from a church background that does not engage with this practice. And so if you want to hear a really fun conversation of some Baptists trying to figure out Lent, um, check out our North Wake podcast where Carson and Noah and Jen Grady try to figure out the difference between drier Lent, Lent chocolate truffles, and the season of Lent. And they sort that all out rather nicely on that podcast. So I invite you to, to pick that up this week. Um, but what I'd like to do um, this morning is a little bit different than our normal um, sermon, and that's I want to kind of do an introduction um, to orient us towards the practice of Lent in the life of our church. Kind of look at a what, why, how kind of approach with both Lent and then one practice that's commonly a part of Lent, which is fasting. And so we'll talk about those two things and kind of walk through that kind of process with them. I'd like to pray for us as, as, as we do. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us now that in this season uh, we might throw down our sin and take more fully Christ. So have mercy on us now that your words might be the great encouragement by your spirit towards that end, we pray. Amen. Okay, so first, what? What is Lent? And uh, today being the first Sunday of Lent, it actually kicked off on Ash Wednesday this past week. Um, but we have a devotional guide on our website called The Journey to the Cross, and this explanation comes from that. On the Christian calendar, Lent, the Latin word it's associated with means 40th, is the 40 days beginning on Ash Wednesday and leading up to Easter Sunday, actually stops the day before Easter. Likewise, Lent is a season of preparation and repentance during which we anticipate the death on Good Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday of Jesus. It is this very preparation and repentance aimed at grasping the intense significance of the crucifixion that gives us a deep and powerful longing for the resurrection, the joy of Easter. The journey of Lent is to immerse ourselves in this grand story so that it might increase our appreciation of Easter and love for Jesus. May we mourn the darkness in our hearts and rejoice in the light of God who came into the world to save us. So that's a good explanation of kind of the idea of Lent. So why do we take time to engage this season at North Wake? And there are a number of helpful uh, reasons that we do this. But the heart of Lent, I think, is really found in the opening verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read those to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So during the season of Lent, we intentionally and more intensely embrace practices and pursuits that help us be grounded in the way of Jesus, right? As Hebrews puts it, laying aside sin and looking to Jesus. That's, that's really why we do this season called Lent. Now for me personally, I do Lent because I want to be more like Mr. Rogers. Um, that's really a key reason that I practice Lent. I'm not, I'm not kidding you at one level. At one level, of course, I'm kidding. 
But Steph and I watched that recent movie, um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, just this week. And I'm kind of in awe of Mr. Rogers. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but this guy is amazing. Who he is on the show is who he is in person. Um, now, admittedly, he's kind of a, of a curious dude, right? He's a peculiar fellow. But undeniably, he is one of the most loving and kind people I have ever encountered. Um, and the last time I checked, those things are attributed in the New Testament to the fruits of the very Spirit of God in a man. So in an effort to become more like Mr. Rogers, I'm now the proud owner of not one but two cardigan sweaters. Um, and what I found out was that's not his secret. It's not the sweater. So um, check out this little conversation between uh, Mrs. Rogers, Fred's wife, and an investigative reporter who's trying to dig up dirt on Mr. Rogers from that movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, that's actually the name of the movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. So watch this clip. So how does it feel to be married to a living saint? You know, I'm not fond of that term. If you think of him as a saint, then his way of being is unattainable. You know, he works at it all the time. It's a practice. <laughs> He's not a perfect person. He has a temper. He chooses how he responds to that anger. That must take a lot of effort. No. Uh, he, he does things every day that help to ground him. He reads scripture, swims laps, prays for people by name, writes letters, hundreds of them. He's been doing that since I met him. So how did Mr. Rogers become the kind of guy who regularly gets accused of being a saint? Um, you, you heard his wife there. She says he does things every day that help to ground him. He works at it all the time. It's a practice. He reads scripture. He swims laps. He prays for people by name and, and other such things. Right? And there's a sense in which that's why we do Lent here. Okay, not so we become like Mr. Rogers, but we engage practices that help us become more like Jesus, embracing practices more fully during this season that help us become more fully like Jesus. Right? So, full disclosure, you're not going to find Lent in your Bibles. Okay? The shape of Lent this season comes to us from church history. Now, it goes all the way back to the 4th century, Christians have been practicing this season since the 4th century, but its themes are pure scripture. At the heart of what it means to follow Jesus, the crucified one is the meaning of Lent. Now that takes us towards the how of celebrating Lent here at North Wake. Let me suggest three ways that you can consider engaging in this season with us together here. And I'll give you a fourth one at the end of our time. But first, you can sit under the teaching of this series. Okay? If you miss a week, pick it up online. Okay? The title is simply this, Cruciform. It's a fancy way of saying cross-shaped. And we're going to be exploring a number of Lenten themes 
that are associated with following a crucified Messiah. Repentance, humility, contentment, forgiveness, and cross-bearing. Those are the themes we'll be walking through together. Needless to say, this is not going to be a season of teaching marked by fluffiness. Okay? This is a call to follow a crucified and risen Messiah. Daily cross-bearing is required. Now, a second way you can engage in Lent is to pick up one of the Lenten daily devotionals that's recommended on our website. Um, there's a Lent resources page. There's several Lent resources page. One of them lists a number of free online Lenten devotionals that we've used um, in the past. A number of our small groups have picked one, and they're doing it together. My small group is doing one called the Journey to the Cross. There's one called Journey of the Cross that's excellent from, our, from Exchange Church in Roseville. But this is called Journey to the Cross, and it's very, very helpful. Third thing you can do, you can practice fasting during the season of Lent. Now, if Lent is way off our radar, fasting is probably even further off our radar. We're, we're Baptists, right? We feast. We don't, we don't fast. So um, you're not alone. It's interesting, back in the late 70s, there's a guy named Richard Foster who wrote kind of a classic book called Celebration of Discipline in 1978. And in his research for that book, he did not find one book written on the subject of fasting that had been written in the last 100 years. Um, now, this week I have a book on my table that's a recent work on fasting. I, I read a PhD dissertation on uh, biblical theology of fasting, so times are changing. But 100-year stretch where uh, we were largely not aware of this practice, not thinking about it. And he gives two reasons. He says, first, Christian culture reacted to the excessive practices of the Middle Ages in this regard. And second, he says, our, our culture encourages the satisfaction of every human appetite. So let me give you a, just a helpful working definition of fasting from Pastor John Piper. He says, fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need or our longing for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. Okay. So let me walk through fasting kind of in a why, how, what order. So why fast? So fasting is a beautiful way to Remember and imitate and long for Jesus. Let me explain it. Um, when we fast, we remember the life Jesus lived. We sang about him leaving heaven and being born in a cradle of dirt. Right? Uh, his whole incarnation was an embracing of a sacrifice of his rightful position in heaven to come and be among us. Um, Philippians 2 describes it beautifully. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So when we fast, we remember the life of sacrifice that Jesus lived in order to rescue us from our sins. We also imitate Jesus. 
Because if you've read his life story, you know that he started his public ministry with a fast that lasted 40 days. Um, Matthew 4 describes it. It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Um, so at least here, we see that this was part of Jesus' spiritual practices. As an observant Jew, he likely engaged in other fasts, um, at least fasts on days like the Great Day of Atonement and such. So in fasting, we remember, we imitate, and we long for Jesus, for his promised coming, because that's going to be a day when there'll be no more fasting, only feasting, right? And we long for that day when sin is no more. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. But in all these ways, uh, remembering, imitating, longing for Jesus, fasting can help us do what Hebrews 12 urged us to do, laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us and looking to Jesus. Okay? Now, fasting can also help us do what I would say is reordering our loves and thereby helping us fight sin. Um, there's an author, her name is Julie Canlis, and she writes beautifully about this, and it's a lengthy quote, but I'd like to share it with you. I'll put it on the screen so you can tag along with me. She says, in the story of Jesus' encounter with Satan in the desert, we often think Jesus had victory over temptation simply because of his divinity, but the early church had a different perspective. They believed the secret to Jesus' strength in the desert came from the event right before his baptism in the Jordan River. Christ's endurance lay not in the abstract power of being divine, but rather in the human experience of being cherished by a father who opened the heavens and said, this is my son whom I love. She says that love was the secret of his ability to resist temptation. In fact, she says this view was so important to early believers that they celebrated Jesus' baptism long before they celebrated Christmas Day. This same love carried over to our practice of Lent. When we turn to him, our disordered loves are exposed. And when we embrace the biblical promise that we're cherished and known by him, we begin to put those disordered loves in proper order. Okay. And then she applies it to Lent. She says that's what Lent is all about. When we fast, give up social media or relinquish other habits, we place ourselves in a kind of wilderness. There in that barren space, we're better able to hear the simplicity and power of the gospel message. We are loved by God and loved to the death. Only by staying grounded in this love does sin break its hold on us. Only by his affection do our temptations wither. And only through declaring ourselves beloved can we look ahead to what comes out of the desert, the resurrection of Christ, through whom all things are made new. So Lent's a season to embrace the love of God. So should you boldly go where you have never gone before and give up, say, coffee for Lent, get permission from your spouse before you give up coffee for Lent. I'm just saying if you're married. But then when you, if you do and you reach for that now empty favorite mug, you're reminded, as much as I love coffee, there is a greater love I must seek and cherish, being the beloved of God. You know, I think of Lent like um, 
spring cleaning. I think of fasting in particular. It's kind of like spring cleaning. Um, in fact, the English word for Lent actually comes from springtime. Um, so in our attic, at our house, it's the place where displaced things go to live, right? Things that don't have a place. So seasonally, um, summer clothes this time of year, they're in our attic. Window air conditioners are in our attic. Camping gear in our attic. All very important things in our attic. But also in our attic, things start to accrue. Things like a really good empty box that could be used for Christmas presents. That goes in the attic because I might need it next year. Things that are mostly broken but could be fixed someday. I'll put that in the attic and then I'll, I'll eventually get around to it. And all kinds of really kind of valueless things end up cluttering my attic such that eventually I can't even get to the things that have value. And I think this is, this is what Lent and fasting particularly do for us. They allow us some spring cleaning of our soul where we remove some of the things that are less valuable so we can better access those that have more value. In particular, the very love of God for us. So how? How could you go about fasting during the season of Lent? Well, a couple important reminders. One, you're not fasting to earn God's favor, to merit something from God. If I fast, then God will owe me, and you'll have to do this for me. Or if I fast, then God will love me more. No, that's not why we do this. A fast is an act of worship and a pursuit of loving God supremely, above all lesser loves, right? Scripture doesn't specify a specific pattern or way for fasting. In fact, if you read the whole New Testament, everything that it says about fasting, there are no commands uh, to fast. It's simply assumed that we'll fast. Look at what Jesus teaches on fasting in Matthew 6. And when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, and he says this, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. It's a show. Okay. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. We would say they have received their likes, right? <laughs> That's their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, clear biblical instruction about fasting, if you can, do it secretly. Okay? Do it secretly. And this pretty much puts the kibosh on posting on social media about what you're fasting from during Lent, right? Um, unless you're content with a few likes from some virtual friends instead of the reward of God. So, what if someone discovers your fasting secret? Or is, is it all a waste now? No, that's not the point behind Jesus' teaching. Uh, the, you know, if you share with your small group by way of encouragement to them or for accountability, is that wrong? No, the point is whether you're doing it to be seen for a show or whether you're willing to do it secretly so that no one knows, so that only God is the beneficiary of, of your fasting. So, that's clearly Jesus' emphasis. There's a better reward, the pleasure 
of your heavenly Father. Now, Isaiah 58 is a powerful passage, one of the most extensive teachings about fasting in the Bible. Um, I'll read you some excerpts from it, but I would recommend you read the chapter today if you're thinking about joining us in some kind of fast. Um, It warns about the wrong-heartedness in our practice of our religion and fasting is singled out in particular. Here's an example um, from verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose, God says? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So, If you read all of Isaiah 58, it becomes clear that God wants no part of fasting or any spiritual practice, even going to church for that matter, that's done for show, to be seen. That's external, not internal. Or one that somehow would harm someone in some way. Instead, he wants a fast that turns our heart and frees our resources to share with others that loves God by loving those he loves. So I know one couple, they, during this season, they fasted one day, one meal a week, a dinner time meal, and they would take the money from that food that they would normally have spent on food, and they gave it away to someone in need. Maybe they would add it to their neighbor-to-neighbor pledge if they were part of our family, our church family these days. So think of it like this. If you are on the $5 a day Starbucks drive through plan, okay? If that's you, then do the math. $5 a day, let's say you do that five days a week, and there's six weeks in the season of Lent, you start doing the math, it's like 150 bucks. If you're a seven-day-a-week Starbucks person, I'm a little worried about you, And it's a couple hundred bucks, right, that you could give away to a neighbor in need, that you could give to an organization that helps the poor. Or you could adopt this little guy. He's an eight-year-old boy from Bangladesh. His name is Tamim. You You could provide for him for four months. And he's been waiting for a sponsor over a year. That would be a fast that God would choose to accept. Now, another thing that becomes apparent when you look at fasting in the scriptures, prayer is almost its constant companion. It's prayer and fasting. It's the common way to to say it. Um, This is what makes it different from Whole30, right? It's... It's not a mere diet if you give up chocolate or ice cream or dessert or whatever for Lent. It involves our bodies, which is important, but it isn't primarily about our bodies. Fasting creates longing for food for our soul and makes room for it. So, what could you possibly fast from? Um, Let me tell you what not to fast from. Don't fast from stuff that's good for your soul. Don't fast from church or small group or Bible reading or prayer. That's just plain dumb, okay? Uh, And it's counterproductive. 
right? Don't fast from stuff that's good for your soul. So you might think, well, what about fasting from stuff that's bad for my soul? Like sin, for instance. And I'm like, yes, definitely. Fast from sin for, don't sin for 40 days, right? Don't give in to worry or greed or gluttony or porn. 40 days off of all that, awesome. Just be mindful that you don't get to pick it back up when Lent is over, right? That's not how this works. But Lent could very well be a season that helps you be free from the sins that have entangled you. But commonly, a fast during the season of Lent involves giving up something that's pleasurable or enjoyable to you. Um, Historically, that's revolved around food of one kind or another, but as luxuries proliferate in our culture, alternatives like fasting from TV or social media or um, coffee um, are, are increasingly common. We would call these lesser loves. And as I mentioned earlier, when we give up these loves for this season and we miss them, whether it's coffee or dessert or Facebook or whatever, we turn our thoughts to that greater love, to the love of God that satisfies not just our taste buds, but our very souls. Listen to the language of Psalm 63. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you, God, upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So that time that you gain, perhaps you may get some time back from from your fast Um, It can be given to things far more soul-satisfying, right? Um, The pursuit of God in prayer or in extra scripture reading or in reading some book or articles that fuel your love for God. And hopefully, this Christ-centered fast during these next six weeks helps us ready to fully embrace the love of God that's put on display on Good Friday. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, let me give you a fourth way um, to engage God during the season of Lent, right? Alongside the teaching of the church, a personal daily devotional, um, fasting. Uh, The fourth one is feasting. Feasting is actually, uh, in some traditions, a regular part of the season of Lent. Let me, let me show you how it works. So if you're, if you're counting days, Lent's the 40 days before Easter, right? And it started last Wednesday. If you actually count the days, it's not 40. It's about 46. And the reason is Sundays don't count. Sundays are considered little mini Easters, the Lord's Day where you celebrate the resurrection, and in many traditions, um, you break your fast. So this is awesome. You get coffee, you get dessert, you post something really Christ-honoring on social media, or whatever it is that you're fasting from. You drink a big old cup of coffee, um, and you celebrate, and you turn your thoughts towards the resurrection of Jesus that gives us all good things in the newness of life that lasts forever and ever. Amen, right? So it's kind of a cool tradition and it seems especially good for us Baptists, right? Feasting, feasting. Um, 
But there's another kind of feasting during this season that um, takes place, and that is feasting on Christ. Feeding not our bodies, but our souls. And here at North Wake, we exemplify that um, by, we, by the celebration of the Lord's Supper, not on a monthly rhythm, which is our pattern, but every single Sunday leading up to Easter during the season of Lent, plus a candlelight service on Maundy Thursday, the evening before Good Friday, um, we will partake of the Lord's table together. Um, and so if you're homebound, or if you know somebody who's not able to attend due to health or um, wh whatever reason, um, help them engage. If you're homebound, I hope you'll do everything you can to engage with us in the celebration of the supper as a feasting on Christ's love for us. Um, we are offering after this service each Sunday for those who request it, um, communion where you could come in your cars into the parking lot and someone who's masked and gloved would bring the elements to you and celebrate the supper with you. Um, we can come to your home and bring the elements there and celebrate the supper with you so that you have someone to partake of the supper with if you're homebound or isolated during the season. You just need to let us know beforehand so that we can make those preparations. So anyway, I hope you can join us in one of those approaches to pursuing Christ this season. They're not commands, they're invitations. I hope you'll say yes to one of them that will help you forsake sin and pursue Christ uh, during this season of Lent. And that's what we'd like to do together now to close our time as we feast on the love of God and remember Christ's sacrifice for us at this table. So let me pray for us as we approach the Lord's table. Jesus, have mercy on us. We're, we're good at lesser loves. We tend to love them more than we should sometimes, even in your place. And so, even as we come to this table today, take the supreme place in our hearts. Remind us again of how long and how wide and how high and how deep is your love for us. So Jesus, accept this as worship and our expression of love for you, even as we embrace your love for us. We pray in your name. Amen. The Lord's Supper is open to anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ who's walking in fellowship with him. That is, if you are willing to confess and forsake your sin... The table is open to you. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, then what you really need um, is not the symbol. You need the substance. You need a reminder or a symbol of Christ's body broken for you and his death on the cross. You need to embrace by faith that Jesus died on the cross so that you didn't have to bear your sins anymore and you could be adopted into a relationship with God as your heavenly father. And so when the elements are brought by you today, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, don't feel like you need to partake. Rather, consider what it means for you to partake of Christ and use this time to talk with God about that matter, that most important matter. Now, the elements will be brought to you in just a moment, and I'd ask you to hold them until everyone's been served and we'll partake of them together. And so we remember that on the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus did take bread and he broke it 
And he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this also in remembrance of me. Take and drink.